Well, welcome to you. It is really great to see you. I just want to highlight a couple of the announcements. Thank you, Bill, for drawing our attention to that. But one of the announcements is concerning the Wednesday night adult Bible study group. We'll be meeting in here in the sanctuary right after Awana opening. Awana opening begins at 630 We'll have everybody, we'll have the children out of here by about 6.45. And so then the adults can come in or you can come in and sit in the back and sing with us, do pledges and that'd be wonderful. But uh, we'll all be meeting in here, both uh, men and women will be meeting in the sanctuary. So we need you to sign up just so that we know how much material there is that we need to, to get. Also, Concerning, and, and maybe you did see this, I don't know, I, I posted one of these up uh, out in the foyer uh, on the bulletin board there. This is what uh, Bill was talking about, the, the tractor retreat. Let me read for you a, an excerpt that my daughter-in-law wrote for me to say. And I want to make sure I say this. Better pick it up to make sure I can see it well. Our tractor treat will be held Thursday, October the 28th from 5 p.m. till 7 p.m. This will be a wonderful opportunity to show Christ's love and hospitality to our neighbors in the area around our church. So please come out, bring your tractors, snow plows, Trucks, family movers, or trailers, decorate them to your heart's desire and hand out candy to our area's kids. There will be a prize for our guest's favorite. She's talking about my lawnmower. <laughs> I have new wheels on my trailer, so we'll be good. We plan to have a tent set up with cocoa and cider and are preparing materials so each family, this is important, we're preparing the, uh, materials for, so each family goes home with an explanation of the gospel, our good news. In addition to the need to fill, out our, to fill our lot with decorated vehicles, we will also need volunteers to help coordinate and run this event. Please sign up in the foyer. And we will, and we will reach out with more info. Any questions? please contact Steve or Alex Wigan. In case you want to know what are some ideas, here is another sheet. Both this sheet and this sheet are to the right of the offering box out here on this ledge. Take some of these home with you and maybe you can take them around to certain areas in our neighborhood and, and put them up so our neighborhood sees, our community sees what we're doing. So make, make yourselves available to that. Of course, just let me reiterate one more time that um, the winning decorated tractor will get a prize. Vote for your favorite vehicle. It's done. I'm in. I get the prize for that. Wonderful. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Just want to read for you the first 11 verses. 
of Romans chapter 5. Pastor Steve is not here. He hasn't been here all week because of an illness. We appreciate your prayers for him. His family is doing well, but he's not doing too well. So please remember him in prayer. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, mm-hmm. knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of your blessed Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to gather here this morning. We praise you for victories, and also we praise you for tribulations. Some have been difficult to handle this week. Some of us maybe even be sitting here, though we are dressed up nicely, we have a smile on our face, but yet maybe in the depths of our heart, we're crying out to you, Lord God, help. That's a good place to go. That's basically the only place we can go. And I thank you, Lord, for the promises that we have in this fifth chapter of this wonderful book of Romans. As we tread through it, I pray, O oh God, that our hearts would be enlightened, that our souls would rejoice. And the very understanding of who you are would become even more precious to us. We thank you that your word is your love letter to us. It is described in your scriptures in a number of different ways, but today we find it to be profitable. It's profitable for edification. 
And that's what we long for this morning. So in areas that we lack, I pray, O oh God, that you would provide. Areas that we don't understand, I pray, O oh God, that you would give us clarity of thought. And areas whereby we find ourselves struggling with, I pray, O oh God, that your grace and mercy will meet us there. I lift up to you, O oh Lord, by your grace and for your glory, individuals who would normally be here, but because of health conditions, they can't be. How I ask, Lord, that you would lift them up from their beds of affliction and give them strength, give them a resolve to know that, Lord God, that you're, with there, you're there with them right now. May the promise of your word that's recorded for us, the writer of Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. And I pray, O oh God, that those that can't be here today, they would understand and know that you're with them there. I heard this morning, O oh Lord, that Greg's son was in a motorcycle accident down near Philadelphia. He's already had one surgery and more may be coming. So God, I, I, I pray that you would lead the, the physicians. The physicians can only do what physicians can do. But you go beyond that. I pray, O oh God, that you not only guide the physicians and their decisions of what need to be done in order to correct broken bones or dislocated bones or whatever would need to be done. I pray, God, that they would be infused by you with wisdom on what it is they need to accomplish. And as they step aside from the operating table, I thank you that your Holy Spirit stays there. There in creating a healing process that doctors can't do. But I thank you that you can. So bring about a healing, O oh Lord God, in, in, in Greg's uh, son's life. Thank you that he was wearing a helmet. I pray for the individual that caused the accident. I don't know how devastated that individual must feel, but Lord, I pray that you would work in his heart or her heart also. Maybe you would use Greg to share with them the good news that is in Jesus Christ. Though it is a few days away, we lift up to you, Lord, ministries of Awana as it begins this Wednesday evening along with the men's and women's Bible study. May that be a profitable time. May your word, O oh Lord God, reach deep into the hearts of individuals that will be here to listen. And may you receive the glory. Then a few weeks from here is... The tractor treat. I can't think of a better way to introduce children in our community 
to not just the sweetness of candy, but the sweetness that is in the Savior. And as their parents come with them, I pray, O oh God, that we will have our tractors and trailers all decorated and ready to go. Oh, Lord, I pray that it would be a very profitable time to share your word. Allow this outreach not only just to be a fun time, but also a profitable time in reaching our community again with a real reason of why we exist. And that is to honor you and give you glory. So unto you be your glory and the power and the dominion both now and forevermore. And I praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. I don't know exactly the, the time frame, but I remember the events of a situation that my wife and I found ourselves in. I, I can't remember, honey, if, if we were just um, engaged or, or what, but I'm talking about a night that we went out on the boat, my wife and I and our two dads. We went out fishing on Richfield Lake. When we left, there were a few things that needed to be in the boat. One was sandwiches. My father and my father-in-law wanted to make sure that they were going to have at least something to eat, knowing full well that we may not catch anything. We left the shore in the boat, which was a rowboat, by the way. It wasn't a powerboat, a rowboat. And we found ourselves out in the middle of the lake in Richfields, uh, New York, uh, Schuyler Lake, New York. None of you know where that's at. That's okay. We were out there, and all of a sudden, we found ourselves in a predicament. It got dark. And not very familiar with that lake during the day, let alone at night, I started to wonder, where do we go to get to shore? My wife's dad was very apt at making sure we got, because he kept his eyes on a light and he knew that if he if we rode toward that light eventually we would get to the shore and we did didn't catch a thing and since that time my wife and I have never been fishing again <laughs> it's not that we well, well, my wife doesn't like fish, so that's, that's why we don't go fishing. Um, and so, sometimes as, as I was going through and coming to Romans chapter 5, I wonder if maybe we were rowing on Schuyler Lake at night as we waded through chapter 1, 2, 3, and four, because it appeared that each chapter and each verse, we found ourselves the sun setting and the area becoming darker. Whereas the Apostle Paul painted a picture of us using words inspired by the Holy Spirit as he copied them down to reiterate to the individuals he's writing to 
It's all summed up in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're out in the middle of that lake with nowhere to go. Sandwiches are gone. Thermos of coffee is gone. We probably could have stayed out there all night and then maybe found our way during the day, but that wasn't the plan because Dad had to get home to milk cows in the morning. I, I look at Romans chapter 5, and I, read it, I reiterate it as that light that's on the shore. Interestingly enough, it begins as the Apostle Paul says, therefore, therefore. It's, it's almost like a, um, a dock that you finally get to in your boat and you just begin to take a deep breath and you say, we made it. The Apostle Paul says, therefore. He, he's painted the darkness and now it's turning to light. To remind you of a phrase in the song that the choir sang. Sometimes we find ourselves in the darkness, but Lord, you're the light. The joy of, my, of the Lord is my strength. With that being said, I want to at least draw our attention to eight blessings that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, before you start writing... You've got to go down to number eight and change that word from hope to joy. That was my fault. I got excited and, and so I needed to change that. And you've got to go back and change that from hope to joy. It begins, therefore, having been justified by faith. That's what chapter 4 finishes with. In fact, chapter 4 discusses the theological term known as justification. You may have a translation that says, therefore, being declared righteous. That's what justification is. God has declared sinners righteous by faith. In Jesus Christ. He didn't say that we're perfect. That's not the issue. You can't reach perfection until at least you come through justification. Because justification leads to sanctification, which is coming in chapter 8. And sanctification leads to glorification, the end of chapter 8. We'll get there. But the Apostle Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have these eight things. The first one is peace with God. Peace with God. In the scriptures, there are at least four definitions or illustrations of four types of peace. There's the illustration that there's peace between nations. There's no fighting. 
There's no aggression. I remember growing up during the time of the, uh, the Vietnam conflict, and it was right around Christmas time that both nations declared a time of peace. There would be no fighting because of that particular holiday. And I used to say to myself, well, we can do that for one day. Why can't we do it for every day? What's the problem here? It's when Bob Hope went over to, you know, South Vietnam and entertained the, the troops. Dennis, did you ever get to see Bob Hope when you were over there? Yeah. It was a time of when there was a, a sense of peace. For some reason, fighting stopped. That's one type of peace. Next type of peace is what John says to us in John 14 and verse 27. It's sort of like a tranquility of the soul, a rest. The third type is described for us by Paul again in Philippians 4, 7, where he says it's a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it's a type of peace that you can't understand. There's no reason or rhyme in order to come to that place. All you know is that when you're there, you're there and you can't explain it. But then there's the peace that Paul is using here that describes a relationship. Going back to the earlier chapters, you come to realize that as sinners, we are enemies of God. And when we come to that place of being justified that we have peace with God, all of a sudden now, the situation, the, the relationship changes. No longer are we an enemy with God. We become one of his children. It's a reestablishing, if you will, that's described later in this 11 verses of Romans chapter 5, what's called reconciliation. During the time in the Garden of, of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, man turned their back on God by refusing to obey. You know the account. But in that also, God turned his back on people. And through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God was reconciled, the world was reconciled back to God. God turned now back to face his creation. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling individuals back to God, bringing them back to a proper relationship with God. That's the peace that we have with God. But notice it's not something that we created ourselves because we're reminded that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way available. I don't believe the Apostle Paul heard Jesus say the words in John chapter 14 and verse 6. 
But we can verily say that maybe Peter shared it with him to describe the fact that when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ that we have this peace. The kind of peace that now we're no longer enemies of God. We've become children of the King. The second one is great too. Because it's in verse 2 it says, whereby we have access to God. Access to God. The, the throne room is open. The door to the presence of our great king is not shackled. It's wide open. We have access to the very ear, heart, and throne of our great God. The writer of Hebrews describes it well in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4 and 16, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where he says, It's a place that we can come boldly. And it is there to the throne of grace where we may obtain grace and find mercy in time of need. And it's all because, verse 14 and 15 of Hebrews 4, because it describes Christ as our high priest, there for us. We have access to God. That, that word access is an interesting word because it refers to a lesser being asking permission to stand in front of a greater being. Those of you that served in the armed forces would know more about this than I do, just trying to explain it. A private cannot just aimlessly walk into a general's office. A private must ask permission. The way into a general's office is not accessible to him unless he's been called there or unless he's been given permission to meet. God has given us permission to meet him. We have access to his throne. The third one is this, is that we hope in the glory of God, verse 2. We hope in the glory of God. Titus, I think, sums this up very well for us to capture the full intent of what verse 2 has to say. When he says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as the world gets crazier, I get more longing for that. John writes for us in 1 John Chapter 3, when he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we would be called children of God. And though we have not seen him, but we will see him, we will recognize him as he is. He's coming again, dear people. And I can't wait 
for that day. Just the other day, I commented to some individuals that I was with, and, and just the sunbeams coming through the clouds, I wonder what is it going to look like on that day when the trumpet sounds. We sang that this morning, O oh, glorious day. Sometimes the best sunrises or the best sunsets. I, I just wonder, is that what it's going to look like when we finally get to hear the trumpet blow and our hope is fulfilled as Jesus comes and says, come home, children. Come on home. We have a hope in the glory of our God, in the promise of a glorious future. I don't know what it's all going to look like. I'll probably have a few million years to try to capture all of it in my mind, but all I know is this. When the world is chasing after gold and precious stones, God's made them a street and walls. Because the most precious one there is Jesus. He'll be there. And after the first couple million years, maybe, just maybe, I may say hello to you. And you may say hello to me. But we're going to be so enraptured by that hope of that glory of God. Scripture, at least my mind, falls short of describing it. Other than the fact that in Revelation chapter 4, John tries to describe the throne of God himself and the crystal sea that protrudes from it, the noise that is going on around it. Magnificent of what it is. And I can't even begin to paint a picture in my mind but I'll tell you what, my heart longs to be there. We have a hope in the glory of God. Fourthly, triumph. We have triumph that's led by God. Oh, this is where we, we don't like to listen to this part. We don't like to read verses 3 and 4. Because Paul writes for us, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Paul, what are you talking about? Does anybody here enjoy tribulations? I want to see your hands. I'll be praying for you. The word tribulations there means rough seas. It's the picture, if you will, of Jesus being in the boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and there's such a fierce storm that even sailors, fishermen, don't know how to handle it. And they cry out to Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Sometimes when we find ourselves in those types of tribulations, that's our first response to Jesus. Don't you care? The tribulations are designed not to destroy us. They're designed to make us better. For notice what they do. Tribulation produces character. And character, hope. 
I love what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians as he's describing his life, specifically in verse in chapter 12, when he says, even though we are in these light afflictions, they can't even be compared to what awaits us in glory. We have to remind ourselves also, dear people, that the life of a believer was never intended to be an easy road. Jesus told his disciples, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And Jesus told his disciples that and those that wanted to follow him, he said, if, if you're not willing to take up my cross, bear my burden, then you can't be one of my disciples. It's not easy. It wasn't intended to be easy. It's almost like an individual who said to someone on the streets of New York City, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And the individual said, practice, practice, practice. What's the life of a believer person? Hardship, hardship, but hope. Because even in the midst of our darkest hours, sandwiches will run out, coffee will be gone, but the light is on the shore. We'll get there. Number five. We're told in verse five that we have the love of God. We're given the love of God. Notice what it is, though, but it is shed abroad in our hearts, poured out, if you will, in our hearts. It's a change. It's a kind of change that all of a sudden individuals whom you couldn't stand to be around, all of a sudden you just want to share with them the love of Christ. The early days of me knowing my, this wonderful woman who became my wife, we didn't like each other. I worked on her dad's farm, started when I was in seventh grade throwing hay bales. And I made sure that I made her life miserable. If I was in the presence of her asking her dad for the use of the vehicle, I would say, tell her no, Mr. McCoy, tell her no. And as lovely as she is even today, she turned to me and said, shut up. I don't know what it was, but one day all of that changed. That's what the love of God does. It changes us. It produces in us a relationship that this world may never understand, but that's okay. 
because it comes from God. But notice this too. Not only does it come from God, but it is also there by the Holy Spirit who has been given us. So we have the Holy Spirit from God. Number six, verse five. The Holy Spirit is from God. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 30, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee of Christ's presence in our lives. And so when the Apostle Paul talks about the love of God that's poured out in our hearts, by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's for the pleasure, it's by the Holy Spirit that makes real the love of God in the hearts of believers to change. Number seven, deliverance from the wrath of God. Verses nine and ten. Deliverance from the wrath of God. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That is a shadow, a smidgen of what sanctification and glorification is all about. Being, if you will, saved by his life. Being saved from the wrath of God. You all know that there's going to be a time when God's wrath is going to be poured out on this earth. That's not something that I would wish on my arch enemy. But it's going to happen. And so because we have been delivered from the wrath of God, I can think of no other message to give others than to see them also be delivered from the wrath of God. I think you're catching the idea here that all of this happens by faith. And the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. Chapter 4 ends with this statement. When the Apostle Paul writes these words, he says, Now it is not written for Abraham's sake alone, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who has, was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. It's through Jesus Christ. And lastly, joy. Joy in God. Verse 11 that even in the midst of earth's problems, we have joy. I just want to give you 
as we looked at verses 6 through 8, the love of God that's shed in our hearts, I just want to go back and give to you four descriptions of God's love. First of all, it's a timely love. For it says in verse, uh, uh, verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's a timely love. The Apostle Paul wrote that in Galatians chapter 2, when he says that in, in, the, in the appointed time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of children. The second thing of, of God's love is this, as it's described, is Christ died for the ungodly. It is a compassionate love. He died for the ungodly. He goes on to describe that a little bit by saying, well, maybe for a good man, someone would die. But for a sinner, no, you're, you're on your own. But Christ died. It's a compassionate love. Thirdly, it's a demonstrated love. God demonstrated his own love toward us, verse 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A demonstrated love. And lastly, it's a hopeful love. A hopeful love. Much more than having been, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved through him. In verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Yes, the sandwiches are gone. The coffee is no longer in the thermos. But Romans chapter 5 gives us a light at shore that we're all moving toward. And it's because we've been justified by faith. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Why don't we stand as we close in prayer?